Romans, uh, biblical scholars have said that they're some of the deepest truths about God and about our relationship with God found in, in this letter written to the church at Rome. And, and, and that's critical. And, and we're going to look at that uh, through the week's head and, and today. Some great truths about God and, and who He is and how He loves us and, and, and about where we are and, and our need of Him. And we can also look at it in verse 7 where it tells us the audience to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be His saints. And we can say, you know, hey, this is, this is a letter that contains great deep truths of God that you can, you know, mentally chew upon and, and try to understand and grasp, put, put your mind around. And you can look at it as a letter that was written years ago to people in the, the, the capital city, the, the, the main city of the Roman Empire. And, and that's true. But you don't want to miss the fact that it still speaks today. It's not that God's word has spoken. It's that God's word still speaks. And as he speaks, he doesn't just want to say, I love the people in Rome of many years ago. I love you. And, and we want to look at that this morning because that is, that is so powerful and it is so critical that this is not just an ancient book that is spoken. It is a living book that speaks today. And, and guys, that, that is so critical what we have is is not a, a faith that used to be we have a faith that is um i thought about the power of letters and how when people that care about us write us a letter how it speaks how it ministers uh my dad was in world war ii he didn't tell me a lot of stories about it when he was alive but I remember um, one, you know, and he never told me anything gory. He told me one time as they, they actually marched into Germany as they were closing in on Hitler, and he was part of that, those soldiers. And, you know, he told me one time uh, they were marching down this road in Germany, and this plane came through strafing bullets, and, and he said, son, there were these sandbags piled high. And he said, I didn't know I could jump at all. But, boy, when those bullets came through, I cleared that wall in a single jump. He told me another time a bullet hit his helmet. Didn't hurt him. But uh, anyway, I got to thinking about letters, and I remembered I've got some... He's got a few artifacts uh, back that he collected on the battlefield in Germany, and there were a few letters. I thought there were more than there were, but found two letters. One letter was my grandmother, his mom, that she had written back in 1945. I'm so glad that you have been medically cleared to come back home. I have missed you. And I look forward to seeing you. And it was so wonderful to receive those three letters that you sent. I don't have those three letters. Wish I did. Uh, and then there was a second letter from his best friend in uh, while he was in the army. Uh, William Prentice. And I all knew him growing up as the colonel. And uh, the only real vacation we took, guys, was to go to Muskogee, Oklahoma, to have the reunion of the 202nd Deuce Battalion. I mean, you know, it's still a part of my dad's life all those years. And Colonel had written, this was a letter, it was dated in 1948. <laughs> and uh, it was interesting. I, as I looked at it, it, just the end of it I want to share with you. He said, uh, it was some pretty tough times in the 202. 
He said, Europe is a mess. And it frightens me when I see how Europe is falling apart. And he lived in outside of Charleston, South Carolina. He said, I know where some swamp land is nearby. And I've been thinking about if I have to, I'm going to live out there if they start calling for me to go back to Europe. I think I've had enough. And uh, he said, you haven't talked, we haven't talked in over a year. I need to hear from you. Your friend forever, Colonel William Reynolds. What a treasure looking at letters. What a treasure looking at these letters in the New Testament that have been preserved for us in which we see God. <laughs> he writes to us because he loves us. And, and I just want to, you know, let's open up the letter and let's look at this first verse. And the very first verse, we see the movement of the gospel. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. A slave, literally, the word could be rendered. I was in bondage to sin and I was set free by bondage to Jesus Christ. And then he tells us, called to be an apostle. The word apostle means one who is sent out. And so he says, you know, I, I got the grace came down to me is basically what he was saying. I was slave, a slave to sin Grace came, showed me my condition, and then said, there is a way to be free. And it's to become a slave to the one who loves you, Jesus Christ, because he's the one who knows what is best. And he said, you know, that that grace came to me and, and, and I became a servant. And then there was this call that I can't just sit. You know, that old saying, you know, we're not called to just sit on the premises, but to stand on the promises. But I'd go a step further and I'd say, and called to walk in the spirit. God, we don't even know where we're going. We need God to take us out and lead us. Where do we go? He just said, uh, one who is sent out, where do you go? Where God leads. And then notice here, the third part, set apart for the gospel of God. What are you saying? Where do you go? What do you say? Well, as God leads by the Spirit, you speak the gospel. The gospel, the power of the gospel. Look at verse 2. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Where is the gospel spelled out clearly? Where is the truth of the gospel revealed to us? Well, here in verse 2, it says through the Holy Scriptures. Through, through the Bible. Through, through the importance of, of what he revealed through his people. And they recorded it on paper for us. That's gone down through generations. And, and, and you know in this age where a lot of times preaching is topical. And I'm not against topical preaching. I think there's value and there's power there. But may the word of God never be left out of that. May we never just turn into a self-help group where, you know, here's ten ways to conquer this issue. No, we, we need to be into the Scriptures because that's where the truth is that changes and transforms lives. And, and that's what he has to say here. Further on in Romans 15, verse 4, it says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and encouragement of the Scriptures... We might have hope. So what, what is said there is that everything in here, guys, why was it written? 
It was written so that we might endure, we might continue on, and that through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope that we might not live defeated, that we might not live as if we've been baptized in pickle juice, but there might be a joy of Jesus that flows out of our lives. And and that comes from the gospel uh, becoming alive in us. Now, look at verse 3. He describes this gospel Regarding his son, the focal point of the gospel is his son. It says, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David. He was fully man. That's the beauty of the incarnation. Fully man, but not just a man. As we see in the next verse, it says, and who the spirit, notice capital S here, Holy Spirit, the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God. And and notice that declaration by His resurrection from the dead. A, A man cannot rise from the grave. God rose from the grave. This was a man who was more than just a man. He was the God man. He, he was fully man. He, he was fully God. And the resurrection from the grave proved forth his power that is available to all of us. Then in verse 5, he tells us, through him, it's Jesus, about Jesus, through him and for his name's sake. It's about Christ. Notice what we received. We received grace, which is what we do not deserve, but what we desperately need. And apostleship, which means we're not called just to sit on the premises. We're called to stand on his promises and to walk in the spirit and to obey. Notice as he goes on to call people from among the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. It lives are changed, lives are transformed. This is not just something that we read and leave and forget. This is called to mark us. This is what we are to look like. We are to look like Jesus as he he gets a hold of us. The one who's fully man, he's he's fully God. He he rose from the grave. grave. He 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 provides life. He he gives us the ability to obey him and to follow him. And and notice here again, we mentioned already verse 7. It's to those in Rome, to all in Rome. And he wants them to know that they are loved by God. And although they don't feel like it, probably, because I know how we are. This term saints. Saint Todd? You kidding me? (laughs) And we all tend to feel that way. But but the deal is that (sighs) the title of saint is not based on my performance. It's based on his provision. What he provided. The gospel that he came, that he lived among us as God. And that he willingly went to the cross and died on our behalf. That's the power of the gospel. As he writes to those in Rome who lived in a tough place. Where they were persecuted and and, and where they were tortured and, and, and they were killed. And he just wants them to know that in the midst of all that pain and all that tragedy, they're loved by God. And saint means a holy one, one who is set apart. And, and God wants them to know that they're set apart for him. 
Now, it's, it's interesting here, as you, as you look here, as I mentioned in verse 2, that, that he spoke through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. 61 times in the book of Romans, there are references to the Old Testament. Five quotes from the book of Genesis, four quotes from Exodus, twice from Leviticus, five times from the book of Deuteronomy, twice from 1 Kings, 15 times from the Psalms, twice from Proverbs, 19 times from Isaiah, once from Ezekiel. Twice from Hosea, and once from Joel, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Malachi. And so, Paul was in the Scriptures as as God revealed to him this gospel, this message in verses 3 and 4 of the identity of Jesus Christ, who He is. It made me think of John chapter 1, verse 16 in the NIV where it says, From the fullness of His grace we have all received one blessing after another. The fullness of His grace that's given to us. And and when He reveals it to us and we see it and we receive it, we're we're changed. We're transformed. And and see the blessings that come after one another. Whereas before we didn't notice them or or, or weren't aware of them. I kind of like it in the uh, contemporary English version. It says, because of all that the Son is, we have been given one blessing after another. Because of all that the Son is. And all that He gave. Say, all that He gave. Now, as we come back to this, um, in verse 7, He goes on, He says, Grace and peace to you from our Lord and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, getting what we don't deserve. Peace is that comfort of knowing that God is with us and that in Him we are safe. Now, remember who Paul was. He was a guy at one point that hated the church and God's people. Um, He made their life miserable. He tortured them. He tracked them down. He would throw them in prison. And on occasion, he would even witness their deaths. As in the stoning of Stephen, as we read about in Acts, that he was there at that event. And yet, his life drastically changed as the grace of God became clear to him on that road to Damascus where he was brought to his knees and he was blinded. And he said, Lord, who are you? And he, he told him, he said, I'm Jesus and, and his life was, he, it was changed and it was transformed. Uh, Donald Barnhouse, uh, a preacher of the past, once said, Love that looks up is adoration. Love that looks out is affection. But love that stoops is grace. I love that picture. You see, that's what's amazing. The king of kings stooped. He went low. So we could be lifted up. That's the story. Um, D.L. Moody. uh, He was a guy of another century. Kind of like Billy Graham. A famous evangelist. God used all over the place. And he started a school out in the Chicago area. Known as the Moody Bible Institute. The first president of that school. Was a guy named R.A. Torrey. One day he got a letter from a pastor. Who said. My son is rebellious. And he's in trouble. And I don't know how to help him. And I feel like he could really benefit by being at Moody School. He said, uh, if you just let him 
go there. I, I don't know what to do with him. R.A. Torrey wrote him back and he said, look, I'm a father. I understand your plight. He said, I wish I could help, but I'm trying to run a school, not a reform school. And so, you know, they dialogued back and forth. And, and, and finally, R.A. Torrey just gave in and said, all right, okay, you know, I'll try to help. But here's the conditions. He's got to fall in line. He's got to be a part of this school and follow the rules. And he has to meet with me every day. And you know what? That happened. They began to spend time together. The young man's life began to change as he developed this friendship with R.A. Torrey. And then finally he gave his heart to Christ. Thirty years later, he was a teacher at Moody Bible College. And he was thinking back when he was young. and He was hurting. And he was, you know, fighting his parents and not listening to anybody, especially God. And he thought about how God had brought him to Chicago and changed his life. And here he is now a teacher at Moody Bible College, you know. And as he thought of that, he wrote these words. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died, at Calvary. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf <laughs> that God did span at Calvary. Now, I don't know what your story may be, but in one sense, all of us have the same story. Hope is at Calvary. The depth and the greatness of real love is Calvary. You know, I dare say nobody in this room, you know, has a past like Paul where you were torturing and killing people who love Jesus. You probably have never been responsible for putting a Christian in prison. <laughs> and yet, God came to his rescue. I'm sure there were a lot of Christians out there worried about Paul saying, you know, Lord... Either save him or stew him, but you know, because <laughs> he is a rough character. And yet God totally changed Paul as he trusted him. You know, the old song, speaking of songs, we are to trust and obey for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Um, this was a time in Rome where Nero was in charge at 31 years of age, Nero committed suicide. At 17 years of age, he murdered his predecessor, the emperor before him. He murdered his mom, and he was known as a crazy madman. He was in homosexual relationships with little boys that he had castrated, and he had caused a lot of uh, damage. In Rome, he liked to be part of the games, and he blamed all of his trouble on Christians, so he would tar and pitch them. And use them as torches, set them on fire to light the stadium as they would play their games in Rome. And he would get on his chariot and act like he was a great chariot driver. And everybody would kind of smirk knowing that basically he was emperor and he could get what he wanted. But in the end, it all fell in on him. And there was rebellion in Rome. And he ended up, in his effort to get away, taking his 
life. But it was in this place that the church of Rome gathered. It was under this kind of suffering, under this kind of pain. And and it was here that Paul wrote and, and he said to them, he said, grace, God's grace is with you. And thus his peace in the midst of all this storm, there is his peace. And it's from God, our father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on in verse 8, and he says a couple of things here. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. He thanks God for these believers. Why? Notice verse 8, because your faith is being reported all over the world. Hey, you guys are living in such a way that other people are talking about you. You are not just constantly wanting to receive attention you're wanting to reflect god's glory and and i thank god for that in you he says notice in verse 9 he says god whom i serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son (laughs) is my witness how i constantly remember you and then the second thing in here uh, as he goes on he says in my prayers at all times i i pray that now at last by god's will the way may be open for me to come to you he hasn't been able to come to Rome. And he said, I'm ready to come and be with you guys. Verse 11, he says, why he wants to come. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. I can only assume that it is his marvelous gift of uh, preaching and teaching. He says, I, you know, I want to share God's truth with you so that you, you may be strengthened. And I love verse 12 as I close. He says, that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. He says, I want you guys to grow and I want to grow. And by rubbing shoulders, we all grow together in Jesus Christ. By his grace and receiving his peace, we grow. Now, three truths as I want to tie this in, these 12 verses. First, uh, the gospel requires that you receive it. I know there are those out there that want to rewrite it or want to update it. But we're called to receive it. It is not a debate. It is a command. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. That's that's where it starts. That's how you enter into a right relationship with God and into His family. You receive it. And secondly, um, not only to accept the gospel, but to apply the gospel. To apply it to your life. That the gospel is not just something you do. It is who you are. That's evident with Paul as he shares his heart. As we've marched down through these verses. And, and we've met Paul's passion. And it's a passion for the gospel. Because I just read in verse 9. He, he says, whom I ser- God whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son. That, that's Paul's heart. And it's about transformed lives. It's not just about... You know, a message that says, wow, you know, I really enjoyed that. You know, it's about God make me like Jesus. That's that's that, that's what it's about. Um, years ago in London, uh, there was a, uh, a preacher who God had given a ministry. Those who were down and out, you know, rescue mission type ministry. And he had made a great impact in London among those who had suffered. He brought the gospel and. Uh, the guy's uh, name was H.P. Hughes. And one day, uh, another man, Charles Bradlaugh, who was an atheist, came. And he wanted to debate Hughes. 
about Christianity. He was an atheist and he wanted to prove, you know, God doesn't exist. And Hughes said, okay, I will debate with you on one condition. You allow me to bring a hundred men and women who have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ to share their story. And you bring a hundred people who have been changed and transformed by having no faith. And we will talk. (laughs) Well, it came time for the meeting to come. And Hughes was there with a hundred men and women who loved Jesus. And Bradwell didn't even show up. But what was cool was... There was so much talk about this great debate and, and, and how, you know, someone, you know, we're going to talk about the truth and, and what the truth is. And all these people came out and they got to hear all these testimonies of people who love Jesus, who God was transforming their lives and working in them. And many people decided to trust Jesus that day. Because he's the one that changes and transforms lives and it's by the gospel. But one more. And uh, then as they say in the hills, you can stick a fork in me, I'm done. <laughs> Third, we're called to share it. To share that gospel. Um, It is a gospel that can't be held on to. It must be given away. Because there's people who desperately need it. And uh, what was Paul grateful for for them? He says, because your faith is being reported all over the world. The message was getting out. The good news was moving out. And he was touched. We have the same call. We're not just saved to sit and sour. We're saved to become his messenger to serve him. Fritz Kreisler was a world famous violinist who died in 1962, and he had earned a fortune by traveling and doing concerts and his compositions that were well-loved, but he gave most of his money away. And in his travels, he came across an exquisite violin that he immediately fell in love with. The problem is he'd given away a lot of his money, so he couldn't afford it. And so he said, you know, if I'll be back. Let me try to round up some money. I really want this violin. So he went. He managed to come up with the money that was asked for this violin. But when he returned, he found out that the guy had already sold the violin. And he had sold it to a wealthy collector. And so he went to see the collector. And uh, he said, I would like to buy the violin from you. And he said, this is one of my most prized possessions. He said, it's not for sale. And... um, so Fritz, he was, of course, downcast. He started to walk away, and then he had an idea. He, he turned back around. He said, okay, I have one request. Before I go, will you allow me to play it just one last time before it's consigned to silence to never be played again? And the guy said, uh, okay. So he, this master musician picked up the violin, and he played with such beauty that the collector was moved to tears, and he was just sobbing. And so at the end of it, he, Fritz handed him back the violin, and uh, he said, thank you to the collector. <laughs> and the collector said, uh, I have no right to keep it to myself. It's yours. Take it into the world.
and let people hear it. That's the gospel. It has saved me, but I have no right to keep it just for me. Hey, guys, let's take it into the world that other people may hear it. All right, we, this is a time where we call it a response, invitation. It's just a chance to say, okay, God, how have you spoken to me? What do you want me to do? It may be to come to the altar to pray. It may be to come before the people and to share something God's doing in your life, something that needs to be communicated with others. Or it may be right where you are to make a decision at this moment today that God's called you to. The Holy Spirit tugs at us and says, you know, this is what you need to do. Don't take that too lightly. Listen. Because this is how the gospel is carried out through us. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for a chance, Father, to look at your wonderful word. And Father, it's never just for information. It's always about transformation, Lord. So you know where we are. How do you want to transform us? In what way do you want us to look like Jesus? Um, That's what this is about. Whether we need to come to this altar and pray. Whether we need to make a commitment right where we are. Maybe it's to, for the first time, say, Jesus... I need you in my life. You are the way to be forgiven and just enter in. Lord, I just accept and receive you. I don't want to change what you say. I want to just submit. Or maybe it's to apply it in another way. Show us what that means. Or to share it. Maybe you've laid on the heart of someone here. Someone to go see talk about your truth Uh, may we just say yes to that call Uh, thank you for this chance lord and as we stand as we sing may we just say yes and obey whatever you call us to do in your name we pray amen please stand